some of you might already be thinking, this is when we usually do our singing. And that's true. This is usually a point at which we would do uh, some significant singing. And uh, I talked to the guys in staff meeting and um, thought, you know what? I'm able to speak and have that portion out of the way, and then I can focus on the singing. So there's also another reason, and I want you to take your Bibles out and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. You know that we've been uh, participating in these one another uh, studies now for some time, and it was decided some time ago that uh, the portion that I would tackle would be addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, Surprise, surprise. Um, So I want to read, as we start tonight, uh, Ephesians 5. I'm going to start in uh, in verse 15 and read down through uh, verse 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer as we begin. Lord, I thank you for these passages of Scripture that are such encouragement to us as believers in what you've established as your church. Lord, I pray that you would help us to glean from your scriptures that which we can apply to our own life and practice, that we as part of this church family can bring honor and glory to you as best we can in our feeble ways. Lord, we'll we'll thank you now for what you're going to teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you who remember the last one another evening service we had, uh, John Leaf was the one who led our study. Uh, That was when he was in the book of Ephesians, and he led us through Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21, addressing the submit to one another in reference uh, to Christ. That portion from Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, neither one of us knew that my assigned portion of these studies would come next, as mine had not even yet been assigned. But here we are. John's study, while focusing on verse 21, comes from the larger portion that he covered as far back as verse 18. And as we just read, I'm starting in verse 15. Uh, I told him just a little bit earlier, the beauty of this was that as John had sent us pastors his notes, some of uh, what I'm referencing tonight I literally could cut and paste into my own notes because I had his to go to. He mentioned in his presentation that our focus for tonight, meaning verses 19 and 20, in short, we are to address one another with an attitude of praise for God 
and for lifting each other up so that we can all achieve and maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Psalms in Scripture, even those that pour out laments over suffering, bring us back to the praise of God. And if you uh, don't have a Sunday school class you're participating in, there's a Psalms class that can help you understand that. I've been enjoying that thoroughly. Hymns that we sing during our worship services and spiritual songs that we hear on the radio or sing with others also build each other up and bring praise and honor to our Heavenly Father. Although we may not specifically sing to one another, I think you see the idea that we are to convey an attitude of praise and honor to God and encouraging each other in our walk with Christ. John shared that just back in October a few months ago. Now, what we want to do is look at this phrase, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What does that really mean? And honestly, this is one that's been kind of, I felt, perplexing because we sing songs. They're all songs. But yet there's some delineation here um, that God felt important for us to think about and to apply to our own lives. So, uh, this is a directive that we read in this passage in Ephesians, and we have a responsibility to figure out what it's written for. So, when you hear the word Psalms, what comes to mind? This is the audience participation portion of tonight. What do you think of when somebody says Psalms? Encouragement? Some of you in the Psalms class should be speaking up. 150 chapters. Okay, and I'll I'll take off on that, because John's clearly referenced, that was John Kresge, by the way. Uh, John's clearly referencing, there's a book in our Bible called Psalms. And as you may or may not know, that quite frankly is what we look to as the hymnal that often was used even in Jewish worship Thousands of years ago. So when we think of Psalms, that's kind of an easy thing to go to. What do you think of when you hear the word hymn? I heard a little mumbling. A song, okay. Old time favorites. Here we go. (laughs) That's That's not bad. Because if I heard doctrine, okay, there's, uh, and I'm going to get into a little bit of a uh, definition list here in a second, so bear with me. If y'all look in front of you, for those of you that are unaware, there's actually a hymnal not far from you in the chair in which you sit. More often than not, it is rare for me to see people with a hymnal in hand singing along with the hymns that we sing. That's perfectly okay, that this is no judgment here. But we do have a hymnal in front of you that has 600 songs uh, printed in there that you can reference. Um, This hymnal was printed, I think, in the mid-'80s originally, um, because I went to college in the mid-'80s when it was fairly new and got a copy of my own. But that's what we often think of when we think of a hymn. Now, here's a couple of definitions. Anybody want to tackle spiritual song? 
crickets. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So I went to um, the dictionary. And a psalm says, a sacred song or hymn, in particular, any of those contained in the biblical book of psalms and used in Christian and Jewish worship. We've already referenced that. Now, a hymn was a little shorter, uh, a religious song or poem of praise to God. So when we think of songs and hymns, there is what we do in corporate worship, vocalizing lyrics. But it doesn't have to be that. It can be poetry. Now, some of you may not actually think of that book in front of you as a poetry book, but quite frankly, the hymns that we sing, the songs that we sing, the lyrics we sing are poetry to music. Now, while preparing for this evening's passage, I came across a group, and maybe you've come across them yourself, called the Worship Initiative. Anybody heard of them? Yeah, a number of you have. Worship Initiative uh, was founded in 2014 by Shane and Shane. Anybody heard of them? A few more. They founded the Worship Initiative to equip and encourage worship leaders and teams around the country. Um, Because this is, as you may or may not know, uh, the whole concept of worship and songs and what songs we sing are, are or can be and have been in the past a point of contention, differing preferences, that sort of thing. So I went to uh, their site and found some things specific to this particular phrase that I wanted to share with you. The Psalms, as they say here on their website, are probably the easiest to differentiate. We've already talked a little bit about this. We know there is a whole long book of Psalms in our Bible. What makes the poems and songs that fill those pages different from Amazing Grace or any contemporary worship song you sing today is that the Psalms are 100% God-breathed, inspired words. This means a psalm could be defined as a song that Old Testament authors wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit contained within the book of Psalms. And we as a church can still sing those psalms today. Uh, I actually toyed with the notion of pulling out a solo song that's a favorite of mine. That's a Psalm 145. If you you just jot down Psalm 145, go read it. You can write your own song. It's a magnificent psalm to read. That's what uh, the worship initiative uh, wrote as far as psalms were concerned. Hymns, this is what they had to say. If you grew up in the church, you have probably heard, sung, and perhaps even memorized a few hymns from the book in the back of the pew, or in our case, chairs. But when Paul refers to hymns, is he talking about this book? Well, clearly not if it was written in the mid-80s. Or you may have heard a musical definition of a hymn that required a specific structure of verses and refrains in order for it to be a true hymn. Now, there, uh, there are some applications of specific structures with refrains and verses that do help us define what a hymn is. Uh, Pastor Tim often reminds me of how many hymns we actually sing. Now, some of you go, well, Pastor Mike, we, we don't sing that many hymns. And I might, what was the phrase that was used over here? The old-time favorites. Well, those are hymns, yes, but there's a lot of hymns that we sing 
written and produced in the last 20, 30 years that are hymns as well. Some of it has to do with that structure. Some of it has to do, Amy referenced um, the doctrine. There's, a, there's so much good doctrine in some of the songs that, um, I'd say all of the songs that we try to sing. Um, we really seek out those that have solid doctrine and teach us about our God. Let me continue with this definition that the worship initiative offered for us. Paul's audience in the book of Ephesians are Greek Christians who may not be as familiar with the Psalms as a Jew might be. However, when Paul speaks of hymns, he refers to a type of music Greek Christians would recognize. You ever think about hymns in that respect? Do you ever think about the fact that the early church didn't sing the songs that we have in that book we call our hymnal? In pagan cultures, hymns were often used to eulogize their gods, while Christians would use hymns to exalt the name of Christ. In his commentary on Ephesians, New Testament scholar Harold Honer uh, defines a hymn as generally poetic material that is either recited or sung many times in praise of divinity or in honor of one of the gods. So their definition is a much broader definition that's focusing attention on the worship, in our case, of the one and only living God that we heard of this morning in Tim's message. So that's a basis for uh, what we would call a hymn. Now let's talk about this whole spiritual song thing. Spiritual song would, be, would indicate that the song has a more personal element to it. Not only are you singing a song to God, but you are singing it from your spirit. While psalms are the perfect inspired word of God and hymns are used to recite doctrinal truth, Spiritual songs offer believers the opportunity to express their personal responses to God. So there's three loosely structured definitions of these terms that we're reading of in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. You say, well, why are these really, and why is this phrase important? Well, it comes probably as no surprise to you that I enjoy singing. I'm not seeing shocked faces, so I'll continue. As pastor of music, I'd hope that that would be high on the list of job requirements, quite frankly. I grew up thinking that everyone was just like me and that everyone found singing easy and fun and, hey, let's get to do much more of that as possible. As I've grown older, I've come to realize that not everyone has the same passion for singing that I do. Now, I think that God gave me an act for singing, just something that I thoroughly enjoy doing. Not everybody's born that way. Okay. And growing up in a family where music was a central and integral part of everyday life, God has prepared me to be the kind of guy who not only enjoys singing, But I have a passion for it, and it is my desire to drag as many others into the practice as possible, whether you like to sing or not. Because as we've already talked about, there's the aspect of vocalizing on a tune to poetry. But quite frankly, I don't care what your voice sounds like. And I think perhaps more importantly, I don't know that God does either. He's the one that gave you the vocal cords you've got. 
and the abilities that you do or don't have. He just says, this is what we're to do. One of the commentaries that I'd come across was talking about this passage of scripture. And when we read speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, the same words can be found also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Although between these two passages, there's a notable difference. In the Colossians 3 passage, there is a very specific idea of teaching, teaching and admonishing one another. Where here in Ephesians chapter 5, this is simply what the commentator said was a natural vent of emotion, especially of thanksgiving. Although probably when we read to yourselves, perhaps it more accurately means to one another. It refers perhaps most likely to public worship, the context we're in right now. It gives us an opportunity as a gathered group of a family of believers to express those emotions in the presence of one another and together to bring our praise before God. In my preparation for tonight, I came across a message by Bob Coughlin. How many of you would even know who Bob Coughlin is? Uh, Yeah, he's Sovereign Grace, phenomenal writer of lyrics and melodies. There's a lot of music that we sing that he's had his hand in. And I came across this message called Words of Wonder, What Happens When We Sing? This was presented at the Desiring God 2008 National Conference. He addresses a host of things related to corporate worship. So if you'd like to hear that message, which I encourage each and every one of you to do, uh, I've actually included a link to that message in the live stream that's happening right now um, in the description so that you can go there at your leisure and delve a bit deeper into corporate worship with Bob Coughlin. He, he has such a perspective. He has so many years' experience, not only as um, doing what I do in seeking to lead singing in worship, but also as a writer, which I, that's a path God has never dragged me down. Um, I marvel at those who can write poetry have it make sense, and then to throw a, a melody. We did some of that as a music student. I uh, tackled some of those things. I was horrible at it. Um, I remember once, not too awful long ago, McKenna was taking a music theory class, and she's like, Dad, I need help. I've got to write this. And I helped as best I could. Gave her my vast experience in part writing and that sort of thing. She rewrote everything and did it her own way. Um, which is probably better. Um, But I I really marvel at those that can do that. What I'd like to do, however, is share just a couple of quotes that he uh, referenced. There's one quote from Martin Luther that he'd shared as part of that message. Uh, Martin Luther had a great... In fact, I'm going to jump ahead. There was a... In my process of looking for uh, some of this... In reference to Martin Luther, there was another uh, quote I'd come across that he said, after theology, this is Martin Luther, so a few years ago, 
After theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. You know, it's years ago, I haven't come across this thought or expressed thought in a number of years. Um, But there was a time when it wasn't all that uncommon for people to say, well, music's just the filler until we get to the good stuff. Really referencing the, the word being shared. Um, and there's no one more than me that enjoys tremendous preaching that we hear regularly. But music is something we bring ourselves to the altar not just listening to word of God being uh, carefully expounded to us, but sharing of ourselves before Almighty God. Well, I'd like to share this other quote that he, uh, Bob, referenced in this message. Uh, He wrote the foreword for a collection of chorale motets, that's a multi-voiced piece. I won't even get into motets. That's been so many years ago in music history, I couldn't even necessarily describe those. But it was a collection of musical pieces. And he writes the foreword, and here's what he has to say. <clears throat> when man's natural ability is whetted and polished to the extent that it becomes an art, then do we note with great surprise the great and perfect wisdom of God in music? which is, after all, his product and his gift. We marvel when we hear music in which one voice sings a simple melody while three, four, or five other voices play and trip lustily around the voice that sings its simple melody and adorn this simple melody wonderfully with artistic musical effects, thus reminding us of a heavenly dance where all meet in a spirit of friendliness caress and embrace. A person who gives this some thought and yet does not regard it, meaning music, as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of donkeys and the grunting of hogs. Now, I'm sure none of you would fit that category, and that's not my point, but the, the point really is this. God himself is the one who created the music in itself. What does the Bible tell us about singing? <clears throat> well, if you've got your Bible open, you can turn to Zephaniah 3.17. And I'll read it for you if you don't wish to turn there. But it says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. We worship a God that sings. You ever thought about that? We have a God who sings. This passage not only tells us that he rejoices in his creation, not only that he sings, but that he sings loudly. Now we know that God is spirit and man often attributes human qualities to him, but in this case it further shows that singing comes from who we are, from the heart, 
It is not simply a matter of how skillfully we can vibrate our vocal cords together. It is a pouring out of our heart's greatest praise, desires, laments, and pleas. And that is something that our Creator established. Deuteronomy 31, verses 19 through 21. Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. This is just before the nation of Israel goes into the promised land. And this is God speaking to Moses. Write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today, before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. God established for Moses and the nation of Israel that he was going to write this song. Why? So that they would remember him. That's what music can do for us as believers in Christ. I remember coming into the cafeteria one day in high school and finding a couple of friends with whom I most often ate lunch. They were both concentrating on a task that was not readily apparent. I asked them what they were doing at the time, and they'd somehow gotten into a task of listing all 50 U.S. states. They had exhausted all the states they could remember, and they were short at least one or two, but couldn't figure out where they'd gone wrong. I told them to go get in line, since I always brown-bagged it, and told them that I would figure it out. Now, by the time they had returned with their lunch, I had written down all 50 states in alphabetical order. They were astonished and asked how I had accomplished this remarkable feat. How was this done? I'd learned a song in grade school. One that some of you probably could sing along with me if I was to start. We're not going to do that. But I learned this song in grade school and it stuck. So, yes... I still have to sing the song to do it, but I can list all 50 states in alphabetical order. Scripture helps us to remember. You may be aware that our children's ministries often use songs to help our children remember the words of Scripture. Acts 16, verse 25. I'll start in verse 25 anyway. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, I don't expect that we're going to have shackles released in the middle of our song service on any given Sunday. But the singing of hymns are a powerful thing. The praising of God is a powerful thing. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Psalm 147, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. 
Psalm 95, 1 through 3. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Isaiah chapter 49. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. We are to address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs for a number of reasons. But first and foremost, we are to be praising our God with every ounce of our being at every occasion. The fact that we get to do that in a room that, quite frankly, is probably the best acoustic room of any church that I've been full-time at is a joyous thing. Even if it's not your thing. A years ago, I had a pastor's wife come to me and say, Pastor Mike, I've been told since I was a kid, I couldn't sing in the choir because I had such a lousy voice. And she sang in my choir for all five years that I was part of that church. And there was never a bigger joy on someone's face than on hers. Because it was something she wanted to do, even though it wasn't her skill set. So even though it may not be your skill set, we still have a task to do. Because we've been admonished to do that. And we're told that we should be in Colossians 3, teaching and admonishing one another by doing that. I'm going to conclude my portion tonight reading from from Psalm 96. And then I'm going to ask you all to join me as singers. Psalm 96, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, 
For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples in his faithfulness. I'm going to ask the team to come back and I want us to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together.